Why don't we start with, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon your church and unite us together in the life of Christ that we may truly love each other in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, once again, continuing a models of the church, or really, it's called ecclesiology. But just before I start, does anybody have any questions about anything I've covered? Okay, then I have some questions for you. Oh, yeah. Which model do you like the most? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you can't have one model. You have to have them all. But let's face it. All of us have probably one dominant model. Does that make sense? Um, so you need them all or the thing doesn't work. If all you have is a hierarchical model, then uh, like even Avery Dulles said, that's a very dangerous model. If you have the opposite of that, which is the mystical one, the mystical, uh, I think that's absolutely true. But if all you have is a mystical, then church degrades into kind of meaninglessness. Does that make sense? You'll either be too rigid or too soft. Well, actually, like, the laity are technically part of it um, for this reason. Um, Well, they're not part of the hierarchy, obviously, hence the word. But I do think it's interesting. Did you know that, um, like, you do have the magisterium, and then you have the census fidelium. The census fidelium is the Holy Spirit working in the people. And because that's an ancient concept, that, oh, the Holy Spirit just is not in the magisterium, it's also in the laity. And so bishops are duty-bound to listen to their laity. So Pope Francis started the, he wants a synodal church, one that the hierarchy listens. And it is kind of interesting because some Vatican officials came out hard against him that that is wrong for the bishops to listen to the laity. Um, Which, that's why I don't listen to my people because I believe the same thing. Um... But no, like, I just think it's kind of interesting. You're morally obligated to listen to the Holy Spirit speak through the laity. So it doesn't cut off the laity. All right, so, um, so I have three models I want to hopefully get through today. And one is um, uh, church as sacrament, or church as a body of Christ. But I like church as sacrament. Um, and what this means is that the church is the visible sign of Christ still in the world today. Um, So people inside and outside the Catholic Church sometimes get it into their heads that the church is getting in their way of their relationship with Christ. Um, But they think that you can be close to Christ and alienated from the church. Um, This model would say that's just impossible. Some people even go as far as to say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in organized religion. I just believe in a purely spiritual religion. What the heck? Show me what a purely spiritual religion would look like. So when they say, I don't believe in organized religion, you know, my rebuttal is, 
Um, you believe in disorganized religion? Um, but the problem is that's not how the New Testament, uh, what the New Testament says that the church and Christ uh, work. That the church and Christ are inseparably connected together. Now, you can go through Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, all these passages that say the church is the body of Christ. So to say, you know, I accept Jesus, but not his body, is like saying, I accept you, but I don't accept your body. Um, you can't accept a person and reject their body at the exact same time. Um, each of us knows that our body is part of who we are. That's why we use that uh, first-person pronouns of I and me. It's a way of talking about our body. Um, if you're playing hide-and-go-seek with a kid and they find you, um, you say, you found me. You don't say, oh, you just found my body. Right? Um, that's why Jesus said to his first group of uh, disciples, whoever hears you, hears me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Or it's also why Saul, when he's on the road, and uh, he was persecuting the early church, when Christ, uh, remember, you know what I'm talking about, St. Paul on the road, um, Jesus didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? He didn't say that. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my disciples or my community? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That Christ and his body are the same thing. You can't accept Christ without accepting the church. You can't commit yourself to Christ without being committed to a church. And I have to tell you, there's many times I've gotten arguments with people who say, oh no, I'm just committed to Christ, not his body. Well, I just don't understand that. Or Joan of Arc, today is the feast day of Joan of Arc, when she was being questioned by these bishops, um, she says, about Jesus and the church, all I know is that they're the same. Why do you want to make things unnecessarily complicated? Whatever you say about Christ is true of his church. Um, and that should be the instinct of every Catholic. The only way we really enter into relationships with other people is actually through some sort of physical connection to our body. So just imagine a young man who said he was in relationship with a woman. And imagine you ask, oh, do you go out to dinner or talk on the phone or do you write letters? Do you go on walks? And imagine a young man saying, oh, no, no. Um, we've never had any physical contact. We've never seen or heard each other. It's more of a spiritual thing. Sometimes I go in my room and I just close my eyes and I think of her. Um, uh, that's what I mean when we're in a relationship. Um, you would say, uh, dude, <laughs> you're not in a relationship. You're delusional. So anybody who says, oh, you know, I, I, I don't believe in Christ's body. I just have a relationship with uh, Christ spiritually. You're like the crazy guy who thinks he's dating somebody he's never met. Does that make sense? Um, uh, we're physically engaged with another person, not just their head. Otherwise, don't count it as a relationship. If you just think of Christ privately, but don't actually engage Christ's body, the church, then the whole thing is in your head, and you really don't have a real relationship. 
your way to reach Christ is the same way you reach any other person you're in relationship with. You have to go through the body. The church isn't an obstacle to Christ. Um, it's being in a relationship with Christ. So um, this is what we mean by uh, church as sacrament. A body is actually physical and tangible. You can see and touch it. Now, St. Paul said the church is Christ's body, um, something physical you can touch in the world. It doesn't make sense to say the church is just this invisible spiritual connection between all visitors. Now, granted, that is the mystical uh, image. That's one model. But as we said, if all you have is one model, it won't work. The Christ is also here. The church is here. You can see it. You can touch it. You can feel it. Um, so we'd say Christ comes through our senses of incense and the sound of a priest's uh, absolution or the words of it, uh, the taste of the Eucharist. Uh, Christ comes through us through blessed oil and hands and touching. So the church and the sacraments are Christ's physical presence in the world. Um, that's a place where we make contact, bodily contact with Christ. Um, and so we would say the church is human and a mystery of Christ. In this idea that, oh, Christ dwells within the human. That's what we celebrate at Pentecost. So to believe in Christ is also to believe in the sacramental system. Now, this gets a little complicated, so I just want some feedback if uh, I lose you. So, Christ keeps referring to himself as the sacrament of God the Father. Um, there's a Greek word, or actually Hebrew word, I'm going to skip it, but it means one who is sent. So, like, you may have never met me, but I can dead, uh, delineate one person to physically represent me. Um, so when Christ says uh, that he's the one who sent, that's a Hebrew context. I mean, you'll never meet me. I'm the king. I'm way beyond you. But you'll meet the king through my representative. Does that make sense? So all we know of God the Father is Christ. For all eternity, what you'll know of God is Christ. Christ is the face of God the Father. Does that make sense? So, like, no offense, we believe in a trinity. The only thing we really know of God the Father is Christ. Christ is the face of God. So you remember Philip, um, after the Last Supper, says to Jesus, show us the Father. And you can just see Jesus' shoulders th uh, slump um, and, like, hit his head. And he says, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does that make sense? Um, God the Father is infinite. There's no way you can see in infinity, but you can see Christ. Um, and so all we know of God the Father is Christ. So no offense to Oral Roberts, but when he said that Jesus and God the Father appeared to him and told him to raise $1 million or he was going to kill him, um, do you remember that? It was in the 80s. We had say terrible theology. God is too big to fit inside of creation. God, and I love this, God is so big, if you read the Bible, he can't even fit into heaven. Isn't that a really weird concept? God is so vast, God can't even fit into heaven. 
Um, so God can't even fit it. If heaven is bigger than earth, uh, then how could God the Father fit in one spot? But all we know is Christ. So we'd say Christ is a sacrament of God the Father. Does that make sense? And the church is a sacrament of Christ. And the seven sacraments are the seven sacraments of the church. So um, it's this idea of representation. Christ uh, came not just to teach, but Christ came to initiate a sacramental system. And there's only certain gifts that can be given through the sacraments. So if you read St. Paul about what he says about baptism or the Eucharist, uh, baptism in the Eucharist makes us church. And so he says, oh, you know, uh, like, if you eat the Eucharist unworthily, you eat damnation. If you eat the Eucharist just so that you can have salvation and cut off from everybody else, you eat damnation. So you can't get baptized and say, oh, no, this is just me and Jesus. St. Paul's writings uh, doesn't do that. So the sacramental system of the church is more than just about the priest. It's about this diversity of gifts. That, um, you know, I love this, where the Holy Spirit says, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I gave you your gifts. Um, and so we anoint people in confirmation so that they return back their gifts. So you have this image of, um, in Acts, and I like this, this image of Acts is that um, the Holy Spirit, nobody gets all the gifts. The Holy Spirit pours out the gifts differently among everybody else. And then you're anointed, you're anointed, I was anointed, confirmed, so that all of us are offering our gifts. So together, all the gifts of God are being offered. So you have this explosion of multiple ministries. In the early church in Acts, you just don't say, well, you know, there's the uh, apostles and priests and, and deacons, and that's all there is. Look at Acts. Yes, there is bishops and um, priests and deacons. But they also had catechists, teachers of the faith. And uh, widows, and I know that sounds kind of strange, but widows was actually an order where um, widows would educate. Um, that's a whole order. They have teachers, catechists, all these other gifts. Um, so everybody was offering their gifts. Um, now, what happened um, is the opposite of the Acts church is uh, uh, the church called uh, pray, pray, pay, and obey, where the laity's job is to pray, pay, and obey. And believe it or not, that came popular in the 13th century. And in the 13th century, well, yeah, priests can do it all. So after the 13th century, guess what we did away with? The diaconate. Um, and then all these ministries of the church, uh, these lay ministries. In fact, then they stopped. You know how the gifts come forward, as it literally says in the Old Testament? The Old Testament says, in case you miss it, the gifts of bread and wine are supposed to be put on a white marble table. So guess what's in the back of our church? And they're supposed to be offered. Um, anyhow, uh, but it's the laity that are supposed to offer the gifts. But after the 13th century, time going, um, well, priests can do it all. So they took away the laity, the offering of the gifts, and they put it up. Some churches today, if you go to some parishes, you'll notice they don't have an offertory. 
because they want the laity to stay in their position. Um, and I know that sounds kind of strange, but um, one reason why some clergy hated Vatican II is because it advocated going back to the church in Acts where everybody, um, everybody offers their gifts. Well, they considered a threat to their priestly power. And I know one priest, I really did like him. He was Irish, and I, he was funny, and I liked him. But he, that was his mentality. Like, uh, he was retired when I was first ordained a priest, but um, uh, he was really against um, uh, the offertory, the offering of the cup, uh, Eucharistic ministers, and he said, no, the priest could do it all. Well, that's very anti-Vatican too. And he met one of our deacons, and I think this is funny. He met one of our deacons. He didn't like deacons either. One of our deacons, and he says, I thought we drove you out of the church in the 13th century. <laughs> but like his idea is that it's, this, it's not a sacramental system. It's a tiny slice of the sacramental system where the priest has all of it. Um, but remember, a sacramental system is this idea that you're inserted to become church. Now, what I mean by that is this, and hopefully I can explain this. Um, what I mean by this is this. The Jews had this ancient saying, and I like it, that you're not born a Jew, you're made a Jew. Now, that should shock you, right? Because for you to be Jewish, your dad, and your, well, technically your mother, has to be Jewish, right? But actually, the ancient Jews you were not born a Jew. What happened is God created this covenant with Abraham, right? And when it says his children, his seed, his seed means his teachings, not DNA. So um, that it's the teachings of Abraham, not DNA. And so if you're born, if you let's say you're born Jewish, uh, are you part of the covenant, the family of Abraham? No. You have to be dedicated. Does that make sense? And they have these uh, rituals. So the early church, being Jewish, would say, the idea is this. You're not born Jewish. You have to be inserted into a previous existing covenant between Abraham and his, his descendants, the seeds, with God. You don't get to create it. Does that make sense? You're not born that way. You're inserted. What's that? I was born just, let's pretend you're Jewish. Um, <laughs> Does that make any sense? You, you didn't start the church. You didn't start this community. You're inserted in it. And so guess what the early church motto was? You're not born a Catholic. You're made a Catholic. You're made a Catholic through a sacramental system. You didn't start this. I didn't start the faith. I inherited it from my parents and God grandparents and going clear back to the apostles. I'm inserted into a previous existing relationship. Does that make sense? So the sacraments insert us into this previous existing relationship. I don't create it. I'm not born a Catholic. Uh, that's what I mean by a sacramental system. And think about this. At the la after the Last Supper, Jesus gives this really long prayer. And the prayer says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my followers. And he introduces a sacramental system, and he prays that they may be one. And how we become one is through liturgy. That's how the Jews were. Or, and I know this sounds kind of strange, but um, uh, 
Um, so, have you ever seen a baptism at Mass? I don't know, nobody? Because, well, most of you people kind of fall asleep. But um, what's the first thing that we do to that child? Well, no, not before the night. We make the sign of the cross on their forehead. Well, in the Old Testament, the prophet is allowed to see invisibly who belongs to God. And everybody on earth would have this invisible tau cross on their forehead. Then he sees heaven. And guess what they have on their forehead of heaven? Right. So um, in the book of Revelation, guess what they have on their forehead in heaven? So that cross in your forehead, it sacramentally marks you as a family of God. You weren't born that way. You were inserted in a sacramental system to be the family of God. So, um, anyhow, I, I just love that. Where um, uh, This sounds kind of strange. I love near-death experiences, right? And this guy goes through the tunnel, is in front of the great light, but there's all these lights behind the light. Um, and um, I like this. Um, and all the light, he said, ah, they were all one with me. They were my family. Uh, they were one with me. Uh, this whole sea of people he's never met, they're all one. And I like this, where he says, every hope I ever hoped, when he says he, he's talking about the light. Every hope I ever hoped, he hoped. Every love I ever loved with, he loved with me. Every tear I shed, he shed with me. Um, and so, I know that sounds kind of strange. I love that, but ah, uh, sacramentally, I'm one with Christ, but I'm also one with everybody else with Christ. And so, baptism, Eucharist, the sacraments, um, it answers this prayer of Christ that, quote-unquote, that they may be one. So you never receive communion for yourself. And so I, I love this. Um, the strength of this is, ah, if you look in the Bible, how do you become church? You do not start your own church. I don't care if Babs back there thinks she knows the gospel better than anybody else. Um, you're inserted into a previous... The church existed long before Bambi did. Um, she's inserted through the sacramental system to be Christ in the world. So the sacramental image of the church, the strength is... Um, it supports a sacramental system. So anybody who says, oh, no, we're church... Well, if you follow the Bible from the Old Testament, New Testament, you're inserted, you become church through a liturgical, sacramental system. That's a strength. Um, so it combines liturgy with the idea of, no, no, Christ is, the church is the presence of Christ in the world. The weakness is that, um, number one, most Americans are very anti-sacramental, truth be known. They said, well, why can't we just have a rock concert and worship Christ that way? Um, and then they like to say they follow the Bible, even though the Bible says, no, God lays out how to worship. So the weakness is that most Americans don't understand a sacramental theology. So they wouldn't understand a sacramental church. Now, is that clear what I mean by church as sacrament? Okay. I have to say, obviously, for me, it's a very strong uh, image of what it means to be church. So, before I go into the next one, questions, objections? Yes, objections.
Yeah, they don't consider they don't consider the Catholic Church valid. So. Because they didn't like John the Twenty Third. They didn't like Vatican II. So um, they said it was invalid. So therefore, the only valid priest they think. So this sounds kind of strange. They believe that there hasn't been a valid church, uh, valid pope, in sixty years. Does that sound like God? Uh, so, and not only that, but it makes the church now a tiny, 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 tiny fraction. Uh, does that make sense? So, like, then God gave up on the world. I know. So they broke away because they didn't like Vatican II. Uh, they broke away because um, they won mass in Latin, even though, think about it, Latin doesn't really start in Europe until the year 1000. Greek was what, the word Catholic is Greek. Um, yes, it is, it's Greek. Um, the apostles were written in Greek. Sorry, the apostles. The, the Bible was written, the New Testament was written in Greek. The first four uh, councils were in Greek. Um, Jesus spoke Greek. For the first 300 years, we spoke Greek. It was only in the 300s when the Latin Rome, well, sorry, the Roman Empire switched to Latin. Then Jerome does something shocking. He writes the Bible in Latin. And it was a big controversy because people were like, well, Jesus didn't speak Latin. You know, this is this new thing, Latin. And then, you know, in the 500s, the Roman Empire uh, fell apart and Latin dies out. Then in the year 1000, Charlemagne wants to resurrect it. But it was only in Europe. Other parts of the Catholic Church throughout the world, completely Catholic, never spoke Latin. Um, so, like, wow, that's a very, t that's historically incorrect. Does that mean, like, um, the other thing they wanted is that they're connected to the French and they want the French monarchy um, reestablished. That crazy thing with democracy has got to end. Um, but anyhow, I, I love it. That, uh, anyhow, so moving on to a second one, and this is probably my all-time favorite. So my, my personally, my second favorite is, well, actually probably my, oh, yeah, it's a sacramental system. Um, my all-time is the family of God, also called the community of disciples. Now, kind of surprised nobody asked me about these pictures up here. Um, I know this sounds kind of strange. Oh, I know. So this one uh, is what we used for our last retreat, but I really like it. It's a procession of people, and they all have their baptismal candle. It's actually a very sacramental idea that, see, I'm right there. Uh, Lydia, you're right back here. Um, we come from a long line of history where the light has been passed on and on and on. This is a picture of the church, but it's really a picture of Christ. That in baptism, all of us have received the light of Christ. Does that make any sense? It's a picture of Christ. Just a sacramental one. That we're all one, just sacramentally. This one is a picture of church as the community of Christ. Uh, the family of God. The boat is the church, the bark of Peter. Um, yeah, there's winds. Um, Christ is still leading it. The fish, the net is we're supposed to be pulling people in. And 
that's a really big thing. Now, going back to you about your neighbor, the Latin one, they're not pulling any fish into their church. They're a walled-off compound. Um, so not only is it a walled-off compound, I want to criticize that. It doesn't pull anybody into the boat, right? You're out. Also, notice, I guarantee you, look at their finances. They do nothing for the poor. One of the, from Old Testament, New Testament, one of the images of Christ, of, of, sorry, the church, is that of servant. We're supposed to be taking care of the church. Any church that doesn't take care of the poor or outreach, don't call yourself the church. You're not following the Bible. You're, we're supposed to be a community that changes the world. Um, the family of God, we're supposed to draw everybody into the family of God. Now, uh, it'll be mistranslated, uh, community of disciples, but technically in the uh, Hebrew, the Hebrew is the, I think it's Ao, uh, it's a family of God that keeps getting repeated. So this sounds kind of strange. The Bible starts off with a family, Adam and Eve. After that, God wants to recreate the world, so he chooses Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless the world and make all mankind one family. So if you notice, when you get to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, everybody's family. We see each other, brothers and sisters. Now, throughout the Bible, they give these long genealogies. And you have to think, why these long genealogies? They give this long genealogy of Ham. And, and then you find out a couple chapters later when they're like the Egyptians are fighting the Hebrew. They're cousins. All, all these wars, when the genealogy is given, if they're fighting the Edomites, guess what? They're our cousins. We're really all just one big family. Does that make sense? But God wants us to see each other as brothers and sisters. So he chooses Abraham's line that through Abraham, you're going to make, uh, he's going to make everybody one big family. Um, and so like, only because... The feast was just yesterday. But do you know who, if you're Jewish, who's the mother of the Jewish church? Oh, good job, Rachel. And she's standing on a moon. Uh, she died in Bethlehem. Who's the mother of the Catholic church? And yes, she was in Bethlehem. And in the book of Revelation, she's standing on a moon. A moon is the symbol of the mother. And so you have all these images that, oh no, the Catholic church, we are one family. Um, and think about the Trinity. That feast day is coming up. The Trinity doesn't separate three different individuals. It celebrates one community of love. And I like that. Um, it's one community of love, lover, beloved, and love itself. Um, when you're baptized, you're baptized into this oneness of the Trinity. Um, and so what it means to be church is uh, we came from community, and we are community. If you're one with God, the Trinity, then you're supposed to be one with a community of love. We're supposed to be this community of love. We're not supposed to be marooned on our own spiritual planet. Uh, so no offense to your friends. They're marooned on a little tiny um, meteorite. Or no offense to Mormons. You know, when you die, if you're Mormon, each man and only a man becomes a god of his own planet. You're not part of this great community and solidarity. You get your own. Um, so church is this idea of family. 
What is church family? And so, um, you know where you hear the phrase kingdom of God? You could translate that kingdom, like kin, like K-I-N. Does that make sense? It's not really kingdom in the sense of power and position. It's kingdom, that all of us are one united family. And so... um, I just love that. Or Dorothy Day, the reason why she became Catholic, she was this atheist. She gives birth to her child. She's a devout atheist. But when she gave birth to her daughter, she said, I felt such incredible joy. I immediately knew I was wrong, that there was a God. She says, a lot of people come to God because they're depressed. I came to God out of great joy. But then now she really believes there is a God. But the problem is what church to belong to. So she goes through New York, and um, she visits different churches. And in this church, it's all Anglicans, and they're all exactly the same. And this church is just with the wealthy, and this church is just for the poor. But then she comes to the Catholic church, and she says, ah, the Irish were city seated right next to the Italians. God forbid. Um, <laughs> the Polish were right next to the Germans. All these different nationalities all gathered together as one. And she says, a rich person would sit right next to a a poor person. And she thought, this has to be the kingdom of God, where they all act like they're all brothers and sisters to each other. Does that make any sense? Um, So uh, the family of God is this idea that, oh, we're all supposed to be one family, uh, see each other, brothers and sisters. So Like, if that's your definition of church, it has some practical consequences. So, how did slavery end? Religion led the way. Um, Where did the idea of slaves being your equal come from? Um, Where did it come from? It uh, it came from religious people. Think about the early church, where, like, St. Paul never directly speaks out against slavery, but it was a different system. But slaves and masters would share in the Eucharist together. Um, So uh, that's kind of interesting. Now, oddly enough, Southern Christians did not see blacks as their equal. They didn't even see blacks as their brothers and sisters. That was the very opposite of the Catholic Church. Um, This sounds kind of strange. We have former slaves who are saints. One, his feast day is tomorrow, but he was a slave in the south and went up north and then was ordained a priest. Um, So that's pretty amazing. Blacks, Hispanics, even the Italians. We're all brothers and sisters. God's dream is to see that we see each other as brothers and sisters. So um, think about, no offense, the Southern Baptists. Their view of church was, this is for my people, white and wealthy. Um, And Some people still have that theology of church, which I consider evil. So tribalism is not a biblical church. Uh, God is very anti-tribalism. Tribalism was supported by Sodom and Gomorrah. Tribalism was supported by Egypt that believed that they could kill the Hebrews. Tribalism was supported by Babylon. Um, God's dream from the beginning is that... uh, we will see each other in brothers and sisters. And the prophecy of Christ is that he'll open up our eyes, that we would be one. We will become one family. Um, Now, this sounds kind of strange. That whole idea of family 
it changed. In the Roman Empire, you had what's called household codes for the head of households. But, and the head of households, no offense, it was very harsh towards women and children. Um, but Christian codes were completely the opposite of the Roman Empire. St. Paul says that they're to see each other's equals. That the master and slave may be in different positions, but you're equal. Man or woman, Greek or Jew, everybody is equal. All part of one body. Um, so, like, they offered a different way of looking than the Roman Empire did. Um, anyhow, um, so the family of God is not a country club or a membership. It's really a family. And so once again, if you look in the book of Revelation, what is heaven? Heaven is absolute community. Heaven is being a family. So does that make sense? And if it's a family, starting with Abraham, you're supposed to get people in the boat. You're supposed to, you know, it doesn't matter who they are. We're supposed to get everybody into the family. Not, well, we're better than those people. Um, if that's your view, tribalism, religion is tribalism, is not church. Now, the strength is, um, I just think it is a great strength. Um, uh, and relationship, remember the word religion means relationship. So uh, I like this image of church. Church is family. We're supposed to expand the boundaries of relationship. Uh, so church is not me and Jesus. Um, okay, yeah, question. Yeah, that was just a pre- that yeah. That's true. But here, if you look at the whole history of the Catholic Church, that's not true. That was true of one time period, not of the entire Catholic Church theology. Well, true, or at that time period. But like Oh no, not not in a whole Catholic history. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Now, here's the odd part. Like, I know that sounds kind of strange. When I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to women wearing veils in church. My problem is that, do you know why you're wearing a veil? How many people know why you're wearing a veil? What is it? True, but why does Paul say that? Why, yes, Oh. Okay, you're half right. So she got half of it. Yes, it is in the Bible. But a veil, this sounds kind of strange. A veil means that you've made vows. And so married women, married women wore veils. Unmarried women did not wear veils. And so they asked Paul this question of... Um, well, because you're, you're having mass, not in a church, but in somebody's house. And women were going unveiled. So it'd be like, not, it'd be like taking off your wedding ring when you go to mass. That's, I mean, what, are you, what are you doing? Um, so, 
St. Paul says don't scandalize it, even though it is your own, like you don't have to wear a veil in your own house, right? You don't have to wear a wedding ring in your own house to be doing dishes. But if you're out in public, you'd wear a veil because um, uh, it's a sign to others that you've made a commitment. So no offense, um, uh, unveiled means that you're unmarried. And they thought that was scandalous, that if the whole community is gathered together, people should know who's married and not married. So that's why Paul writes that. So this sounds kind of strange, and this is going to be bizarre, but, um, and this is the next image of church, is I don't, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, it's a wedding. It's a wedding. So um, at a wedding, a woman would receive the veil. Uh, so at that time period, it was a sign of being married. So like the Virgin Mary... Um, it's kind of funny, there's a statue of the Virgin Mary, and uh, <laughs> this monk, who is just a great guy, sees this statue, but the statue of the Virgin Mary has just her natural flowing hair, and he sees it and says, no, put a veil on that statue, <laughs> because Mary is a Jew, she would have wore a veil, because she was married, she was committed, um, so it's a sign of your sacramental system. Now, granted, we're not Jews. So, yes, Paul says that to a Jewish community. But non-Jews don't have to follow, us Gentiles don't have to follow Jewish law. Does that make sense? So, um, my problem is I don't really care about wearing we uh, veils, but then the veil becomes something oppressive. Instead of being the sign of commitment, it's actually kind of this mocking towards women. And so, have you heard of burqas? You know what burqas are? Oh, burkas are that whole thing. All you can see is the eyes of women. Um, you, it wasn't the Arabs who started that. It was the Greeks. The Greeks were actually terrible towards women. Um, so anyhow, I don't know why I went off on that. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, there's been definitely periods of the Catholic Church that women were not treated as equal. But you can't use the Bible for that. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? I was asked to give this talk, so, um, um, uh, okay, just, I was asked to give this talk because um, in my former parish, we had one of the highest RCA groups in the United States for several years. One year we had 200 people, 200 people becoming Catholic. But each year we'd have about 100. And then this bishop from California, the diocese never said anything, not Great job, bad job, nothing. Um, but then one day I got a call from this bishop in California. And he said, yeah, I read about, uh, you guys are just the like RCA capital. And he says, I, I want to bring that to my diocese. And he said, would you mind emailing me your syllabus? <laughs> so you betcha. 
It's not the syllabus. People don't become Catholic because they read a syllabus and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to become Catholic. <laughs> Why did they become Catholic? They felt loved. They felt accepted. You become this great community, and I'd push my people, hey, listen, I, I'm not drawing people into the Catholic Church. You people are throwing the net. My world is so Catholic, I basically run between my house and here. Um, it's you people who draw people into the family of God. And the more that we become a place of love, people want to become, does that make any sense? So um, that's how you do it. And the bishop, God bless him, he thought it was about a syllabus. It's about love and family and connection. And um, that's why I really, I hate when churches say, oh, you know, to come to church here, you better not wear shorts, or women better not wear sleeveless shirts, or women can't wear pants, which there is a church here in Idaho where women are not allowed to wear pants because the priest is not putting up with that shenanigans. But today's the feast day of Joan of Arc, and why was Joan of Arc burned at the stake? For wearing pants. And I think we should burn a couple women at the stake and stop this craziness. Um, but my point being is that, um, you know, I just think what it means to be um, church is um, to become the family of God. Um, so that's how you get people in. It's not our arguments or syllabus. It's love. So I, that's actually the family of God, disciples. That's my actually favorite. The last one, since I have 15 minutes, is, um, uh, oh, the, can I, the opposite of the family of God, and I just want to mention this, is religion is a private thing. Um, and like two weeks ago, I was anointing a woman who was dying. So I go to hospice to anoint her, and her daughter is there. And her daughter starts to get up and leave. And I said, oh, you can stay for the anointing. And she says, oh, no. She always taught us that religion was a very private thing. When is being family or love a very private thing? And I thought, I can't believe if she's Catholic, she would have ever promoted that idea of church. That idea of church works for you so that you can remain unconnected. Does that make sense? Um, so just um, then the last one, this one is a little hard. And... This is, church is the bride of Christ. Now, um, the Bible actually starts and ends its way again. Uh, the Bible starts with a wedding, Adam and Eve. Uh, there's this prophecies that when the Christ comes, he will marry us. And what's important to know is that Sinai with Moses is an interrupted wedding. So I'm, I'd love to explain it. It would take too long, like the hopa, the spirit. It's a wedding that gets... Israel commits adultery <laughs> before the final act of marriage. The golden calf, that's uh, adultery. Um, and so the prophecy is that when the Christ comes, he will marry us to God. Um, so uh, Christ will call himself the bridegroom. Uh, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. It's a wedding. Um, and if you notice in the book of Revelation, it ends with this city, a city, wearing a wedding dress. That should strike you as odd. Um, 
it's an image of the church, that heaven is a community, but we're the bride of God. So the church is the bride of Christ. Um, so one more thing, because I, I love this. Um, only three things, there's like 100,000 verses in the Bible, but only three things ever use the word fashion. There's a Hebrew word where it says God fashioned. So God fashioned Eve, God fashioned cities, and God fashions altar. It's such a, a rare word that God uses. He only, in the Bible, those, that word fashion is only used. Eve, cities, and altars, which are things that make us a community. So religion is never private in the Bible. Um, religion is the bite of Christ, that all of us are lovers of God. Once again, it's not each individual ones. Uh, the whole church is one bride in love with God and each other. Um, uh, so I just love that. Or read the Song of Songs. Um, the Song of Songs is speaking about this wedding. Um, or bride in Hebrew. Um, bride in Hebrew is kala, kalha, kala, kala. And in Hebrew, it doesn't really technically mean bride. What it means is perfect one or completed one. But if we're the bride of Christ and the groom is Christ, shouldn't the groom be called the perfect one, not the bride? And that's a point. We're born to be the bride. We're not born as a bride. Um, we're perfected as a bride. To become a bride is to be joined to the perfect one. Uh, then we become uh, one. We join our hearts to God, and then we become perfected. So uh, I just, sorry, I just love that. Um, and remember, Adam, and that's, that's I'll say the earthling, Ha'adam, in the book of Genesis, he's lonely. And see, I shouldn't even say he, because it doesn't say he in the Hebrew. But I have to, because in English we speak in pronouns. So Adam is lonely, and he says this prayer to God for a savior. And what God gives him is Eve. It makes him a, quote-unquote, fit challenger. But what's really... Do you, do you want me to explain fit challenger? Okay, so I love this. Makes each other a fit challenger. So um, you guys are married, right? Are you sure? Um, <laughs> So a fit challenger means, ah, you know, like left shoe, right shoe. They're not opposites, like, but they're contrasts of each other. And fit challenger, that they're contrasts, but challenger in the sense of where he's weak, you're going to push him. And where she's weak, you're going to push her. So this idea of harlot, you know, hallmark of, oh, my God, I saw you and will forever be happy. Believe it or not, that's not in the Bible. Your job is not to make your spouse happy. <laughs> your job is to challenge your spouse. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like, your job is to perfect them for heaven. Um, so anyhow, um, the bride is the, com uh, the perfected one. That's how you'd say it in the Hebrew. And Adam, remember, prays for a savior. But this is the odd part. Adam's savior is not Eve. Adam's savior, that prayer is finished with Christ. So remember in the story where Adam's side is split, right? 
Uh, he's, well, Christ on the cross, it's an Adam and Eve story. He's the one who Adam put, is put to death and his side is split and from his side, community is born. So, um, uh, I explained that before, but Christ on the cross, his side is split and from the side of Christ, water and blood flowed, the sacramental system that makes us the bride of Christ. Does that make any sense? So, oh, that prayer for completion is not answered when you get married. It's actually when you become the bride of Christ. So our whole life is being perfected as a bride of Christ, the spouse of Christ. So that's why heaven is pictured as this wedding banquet. Now, um, to join the church is to be join this process of being completed so that you're completed as a perfect love. Um, find your true selves. Now, this sounds kind of strange. This Protestant minister said this, and I just thought this was brilliant. Where, um, oh, I have to explain this. Have you ever heard of the second coming? Okay, I hate the idea of rapture. Uh, it was the Michiganians who promoted that Michigan. Um, and it's a very 19th century thought. It was just to frighten people into handing over their money. So this sounds kind of strange. As I said, the whole Bible can be seen as a wedding. But um, so if you knew the ancient rite of wedding, a lot of the things Jesus says doesn't make sense unless you know, oh, it's a wedding. So um, it sounds kind of strange. A wedding would be you get... Um, you're, you take this ritual water bath for purification, baptism. You'd be anointed. You can choose a new name. You get this, uh, oh, after your bath, you get this white uh, robe. Notice that's exactly baptism, right? Then uh, you're anointed. You get to wear a crown. Jesus wears a crown at the Last Supper. It's a crown of thorn. Um, Jesus is wearing this wedding garment, cartoon. Um, but baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, and the wedding Ritual starts with the offering of a glass, uh, a chalice of wine. Same thing happens in the Last Supper. It's all this wedding ceremony. So after the Last Supper, there's this wedding. Then after the Last Supper, I'm trying to do it as a timeline. Jesus says, um, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have come, would I, would I have said, I'll come back to you and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. What's key about that is that that is not Jesus' words. That is a speech that every groom has to have memorized. So after the wedding ceremony, this sounds kind of strange, the groom would go away, and he'd go away to the uh, insula where the family compound in, and he was add on another dwelling place for the new family. Then he comes back in this torchlight parade with all his family, and he says to the bride, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have said that I will come back and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. Jesus uses a phrase that every apostle would have had memorized when they got married. Think of all but one were married. Um, they would have given that same speech. And then after that speech, he takes her and goes back to the house and there's a seven-day celebration. So um, this sounds kind of strange. Um, that the second coming, to make the first coming is when you got married. The second coming is when he takes you 
whole. Does that make sense? Or in the book of um, Daniel, the second coming is the Christ going to heaven. Does that make sense? Taking us with him. Does that make any sense? So it's not, oh my God, Jesus is there. Look busy. Um, the second coming is us coming home, the bride coming home. Um, and then the seven-day celebration starts. So why did I tell you that? Well, the, the church, oh, 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 okay, the Protestant pastor. So the idea is that the church is one. It's not a bunch of brides. All of us together form one bride. And our whole life is preparing to be completed, to be perfect lovers. So heaven is a place where we're perfectly in love. So the church is the, you'll hear it in the opening prayers where we'll refer to her, means bride. Um, and our whole life is preparing for our second coming to be completely ready to love with all our heart, mind, and soul. So this Protestant minister said, Christ is coming. You have to know second coming means coming to take us home. He says, Christ is coming for his bride, not a harem. So what he means by that is this. The church, and a Protestant minister said that. Oh, that's a great line. In the Bible, the church is the bride of Christ. But um, you find this Protestant, and it was a Protestant minister who said, you know, you think you could start your own church, and you start your own church, and you, that's a harem. That's not a bride. Does that make sense? So I like that, where he said, no, Christ is coming to... Um, coming for his bride, not a harem. That, and the Protestant minister sa was saying, we're supposed to be one. It's a great line. Okay, so, um, yeah. Yes. That what Jesus is referring to there is different than what I said. Remember, he can say one thing and it means many things. But, um, of going into the cloud. Um, so, yes, they are talking about the second coming. It's talking about the book of Daniel, uh, the one coming on the clouds. So, um, the cloud is the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's not only the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit and the whole family of God, all united together. But that's not, the, that's not a wedding image. But that refers to also something else in the Old Testament with Moses. Oh, questions, objections? Yes. Okay, so just like the same way I can say church and the church is a bride of Christ, I can say church is um, mystical communion. I can say church is supposed to have this quality of hierarchy that uh, will last throughout time. So when I say church, I mean all, actually nine categories of what it means to be church. Second coming has uh, this image, uh, one image uh, is actually from Moses. And it also has, secondly, second coming means bride go, going to heaven. So, oh, yeah, somebody back there. 
building houses. Oh, oh yeah. Mary, exactly. Mary is found pregnant before the final act of marriage. So when people say, oh, Mary was an unwed, unwed mother, no, she was married. They had the ceremony. Joseph was just away. Does that make sense? So it would have been scandalous for you to be pregnant before the husband comes back. That would mean adultery. Does that make sense? No time spent. just depends how long it takes to build the house. Right. Well, not years. It, they would be like a year, a couple of months. I don't know. How long does it have to build the addition? Well, if I was a builder, it would be a lifetime. That's completely untrue. Yeah, well, you can... Oh, you know, early church, we have plenty of writings that she was... Even the Gospel of Matthew uh, alludes to her being perpetual uh, virgin. So that guy was saying that, but clearly not a scripture history scholar because, um, no, the Immaculate Conception was... Uh, that was celebrated by the early church, they wouldn't help celebrate the Immaculate Conception if she was sinful. Yes, it does refer to brothers and sisters, but the problem is the word brothers and sisters could mean family, cousins, um, but yeah, so, and here's the other thing. Um, Jesus at the cross does this legal adoption between the apostles to Mary. That li that's a legal adoption. It wouldn't be legal if she had other children. It's only legal if the, she has no other children. So that would not be true. He's pretty quiet, but that's his virtue. He's like your, he's like your husband. You can barely get a word out of him. I have never heard Pat actually speak in my life. The idea, though, is jo Joseph is a doer. So, and he was, anyhow. But here's my question, since we've gone an hour, or four minutes away from an hour. Um, here's, a, I, want, I know it's, ecclesiology is not popular, but the same way I keep hitting, shouldn't we worship the way the Bible says to worship? And the Bible says a lot about worship. Shouldn't we be church the way the Bible says to be church? It's a little harder because you need nine whole different models. But no offense, like your friends, their idea of church is that of a tribe, a little tiny tribe. But shouldn't we be church as the Bible says to be church? You need all nine. Um, and but for so... My problem is, and I know I mentioned this, I don't like people say, oh, we follow the Bible. When they say they follow the Bible, they take just moralistic um, accusations and say, you got to do this, and you got to do this. They only take it moralistically when they can throw their finger at somebody else. Not how to live, not how to be church, and not how to worship. So here's my question to you. I, 
I kind of think it's very important that people have a theology of church. What is church and what is not church? So let's say, I, I like him, the Irish priest who said, oh no, we're not going to have deacons and we're not going to have the laity do any ministries. We're not going to have um, the offertory of the gifts. Guess what he ran? What kind of parish he ran? Dead. Nobody was becoming, nobody was becoming Catholic. It wasn't a family. It was just this hierarchical thing that existed for a few years. So if you have a good theology of church, you can say, oh, that's a real weakness in that parish. But you need all nine. But my question to you is, um, hmm, um, I think this is a necessary thing, not a necessary, not the greatest thing, but how can we expand what it means to be church? How can we pass this theology of church onto others? Because the greatest problem, I think, in the United States is community, community, community. Um, the reason why we have a high rate of depression, the one, I don't know, antidote against depression, not that it's going to prevent it, but it'll limit it, is community. And the younger people, huge rates of depression, suicide. Do you know, like, as I know I mentioned this, when I mentioned drug addiction, anybody here ever had knee surgery, hip surgery, soldier surgery? You had the best drugs money can buy. How come you're not selling your body on the street? Um, because you know what they found out? True. They, and I know I mentioned this about the rat world. Do you remember that? They can get these rats addicted to heroin. Uh, right? You can get rats addicted to heroin, and after that, they will keep coming back to the heroin. Except, then they realize, oh, we did that wrong. Where the rat, I shouldn't, you. The rat is trapped in the cage. If all it is is one lone rat trapped in a cage, why wouldn't you take the heroin? So then they said, well, what if we got a rat addicted to heroin, but then give them a rat world where there's other rats and there's things to play with and do? Every rat where you gave them a rat world got off the heroin. They'd rather have community than heroin. Same thing they found out with people. With, we have this huge addiction rate, but people are more likely to ameliorate the addiction or help get off it the more you have deep connections. So my point being is that I don't like the idea of church that, oh, you can start your own church and it's just going to be people like Richard who are white, wealthy, and quiet. Um, <laughs> what God wants is a family that's diverse coming together. Does that make any sense? So... How could we expand this idea so that the little class here, it ripples through, so people start thinking of, oh, wait a minute, shouldn't we be church as the Bible says to be church, not as you define church? So, yeah. No, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's invite, but it's also challenging. But like, I, I can't tell you how many times people say something that ecclesiologically is, like the woman said, oh, religion's a very private affair. Or uh, I believe in Jesus. I don't just, I don't believe in his church. How can you have a relationship with Christ 
if you ha can't have it with its body. Oh, on that part, I know that sounds kind of strange. That's why I got to remember to do a name tag Sunday because we got to become this church of love. Okay, sorry. Um, so next week, okay, got to warn you, next week we're going to start this series on architecture in the church, which I really like. So we're just going to go through different time periods. But uh, I got to warn you, the first two classes I'm going to cover... Um, uh, Paleolithic and Neolithic cavemen <laughs> spirituality because it deals with architecture and then megalithic because it deals with sacred architecture and then move into the temple and then move into 2,000 years of Catholic uh, church. So it's meant to be more of a fun topic just kind of interesting but I just love it. So all right, well, God bless, and uh, remember, sign up if you can to bring treats for next week. So on that, I'll see you next week. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comments section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.